Hey, welcome back to the All Access Podcast. My name is Wayne Brown. Hopefully you've been enjoying these messages that have been given to you from our Empower 2023 gathering. They've been so good, I've been blessed by them. And today we have another message. This is from Dr. Andy Yarbrough on holistic self-care. What a great message. I'm telling you, it's going to really help you, and I believe it's going to really mean something to you. So I want to encourage you, listen in. I like I always say, lean in. It's going to be really great. Let's listen to this message about holistic self-care. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, give me a minute. Let me get this plugged in. So talk amongst yourselves. Um, listen, while we do this, I was thinking, um, you know, I had this thought about energy. Energy is the currency of agency. Agency is the sense that you and I can make decisions and it have a real impact on the world around us. Perfect. Thank you. And it have a real impact on the world around us. Like if you don't have agency, you start feeling helpless. You following with me? And energy is the currency for that. And if you try to conserve energy, you're going to lose it. Energy can't be conserved. It has to be cultivated. This is very important. That's why when we're singing songs like, so I throw up my hands, we position our bodies. It takes energy to do that. When you're struggling, you don't want to do that. You want to stay in the bed. You don't want to keep moving forward. That's why God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. He equips us through the power of the Holy Spirit, but there is something in you and me that we're going to talk about today that has to engage his presence in our lives. We have a part to play in how we steward what he gives us. It's crucial for our own health, for our marriages, then for our churches. So listen, I am going to talk to you about ministry, but I want to talk to you about you and your marriages and your families today. We good? Um, I want to... Oh, that was free. I don't, I don't know. Um, I want to thank Pastor Jonathan and Angie. Man, I love you guys. I really appreciate you. Pastor Wayne and all the All Access team and the Bethany Church. Bethany is my home church. It's been our home church since 2008. I was on staff for a few years. It is our home church. It is staying our home church. The Well Clinic has adopted Central America as our mission field, so we're hanging out with James Percival all the time now. Uh, we're talking to Marcus about being in Brazil next year. Like, I love my church. And so I'm so glad that you're here. This is a sacred space for me. Um, anytime I get to do something like this, it's a sacred space because I want to honor you as pastors and church leaders. You know, I, I, I am a clinical psychologist by training. So I do what you probably think I would do as a clinical psychologist, but we also do a lot of work with pastors and missions organizations. My dad's a pastor, my brother is a pastor, my father-in-law is a pastor, my brother-in-law is a pastor. I've been on staff at multiple churches, a few churches through the past 25 years, Bethany being the last one, and I work with churches and missions organizations. I love you and I honor you as pastors. The, the, the local church is in my heart, guys. I, and um, just that you're spending the time doing what you're doing. Um, being here is amazing, so I love you. Um, I also know that you probably have struggled at some point. If you're really honest with yourself, like you got messages prepared, prayers in your heart, songs selected, you're up there and then you feel hollow. You got words flowing, but you feel parched. You got a 
150 to 5,000 people in front of you and you feel lonely. You know, as shepherds, I think we're so used to bringing people to the streams of living water that I think we forget to drink from them ourselves. And I, I think, you know, I grew up milking cows. Anybody here milk, milk a cow? I'm from Bogachita, Mississippi, guys. Like, education didn't knock the country out of me. I, I, uh, I grew up milking cows. And listen, what we're going to talk about today is not the sexy stuff. I've never seen a sexy farmer. I did have one person, I said, that, I said that one time and somebody in the back raised their hand and they're like, my dad's a farmer and he looks pretty good. I was like, congratulations. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but look, you don't milk Bessie once, give her a high hoof and say, I'll see you next year. That ain't how, that ain't how milking works. I'm gonna see Bessie that afternoon and that next morning and then that next afternoon, 365 days a year. That's how milking cows work. That's how soul care works. This isn't just a good idea. We have to know how to put our hands in the soil of our own soul and lives and do the work and steward the gifts that he's actually given us. And so I think it's really, really important because I want to talk to you about the idea of holistic self-care. It is the sustainability factor. It is the sustainability factor. And when I talk about holistic self-care, a lot of times people will think, ah, selfish. I, I don't, like, whenever we take care of ourselves, it can feel selfish. But I want to tell you and come back to this idea that holistic self-care is not selfishness. It's actually stewardship and it's an act of worship. We're going to connect it to salvation in a little bit. You guys with me? We have to do this if we want to love and lead well. We have to. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I thank you that you are with us, you're walking with us, and you're speaking to us in every way. I pray, God, that you speak through me, you speak to me as we walk through this, and that you speak to our hearts in a way that, water, that plants and waters seeds for why this is important. And that we don't just have this in our hearts as an aspirational value, but we put, you put it in our hearts as core. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, there are a lot of challenges. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, right? I mean, you can go through work-life integration. As busy as pastors are, we're running, running, running. Weekends are taken up with weddings, with funerals, with doing counseling. There's all sorts of things that are happening in the lives of a pastor. Can I get an amen? amen. You guys are busy. You're running. Emotional and spiritual fatigue. Now, it's going to be weird because I'm asking you to spend energy to cultivate energy. And that sounds exhausting, but hopefully it will make sense as we can get through this thing. But emotional and spiritual fatigue. Financial struggles. No pastor likes to talk about financial struggles. But I know a lot of pastors going to ministry, nobody's ever taught you how to steward your finances. If you've got a question, ask Jared. He'll help you out. That brother can crush some finances around here. He's a freaking genius. <laughs> Thank, you're welcome, Jared, wherever you are. Loneliness. Guys, pastors are some of the loneliest people on the planet. And, and research actually lends itself to this, shows that this is true. Because not only do you feel like you're in a bubble, but people are leaving you all the time. People leave, people leave, people leave, people leave, people leave, people leave. And if it's hard, it's hard not to take that personally. 
it's very hard not to take that personally. And we don't talk about the abandonment that pastors often feel in the ministry when the sheep are like, I don't like you as my shepherd, and they just roll on out of there. All right, loneliness, good grief. And mental health, anxiety, depression, things that we don't often like to talk about, but Pastor Jonathan talked about last night, this sense of toxic thought, even trauma. Dr. Diane Langberg says that trauma is the next mission field. She's a psychologist that has 40 years on me of doing international ministry and work and realizing that no matter what culture you're from, your sense of stability and security constantly get destabilized. There's traumatic experiences in your life. I don't mean to say that that's post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm just saying that it can rattle your capacity to trust and lead well. And if we don't know how to steward our own souls and move towards health, not just get away from our struggles, it's not just about getting away from a struggle, because if you're just trying to get away from a struggle, you may end up anywhere. You're directionless. You're just running, trying to get away from that thing. But there's a principle. What you seek first organizes the rest of your life. Jesus said it when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and be right in relationship with him, and everything else will be added to you. Why did he say that? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. If you're worried about that, that is organizing your life. But if we can have a purpose and a vision on what that looks like, and we pursue his presence in our lives first and things as basic as food, shelter, and clothing get organized by the power of his presence in his kingdom. And that principle, are you guys with me? That principle applies to every other area of life. So if I know how to pursue health, then when I deal with my anxiety and depression, it is organized within the power of his presence in my life and my health, not my chaos. Huge difference. Huge, huge difference. By the way, all this connects to holistic discipleship. It all connects to holistic discipleship. We're going to get there in just a second. Is everybody with me? So we got, we got personal struggles. We got ministry struggles, attendance issues, people leaving, relevance in a modern society, just trying to stay connected to culture, political, social divisions, technological challenges, intergenerational conflicts. I'm not going to go into that, but you can probably think check, 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 check. Social justice stuff, how we navigate that, changing social norms. We got men wanting to walk in women's, but I saw something the other day. There's a 60-year-old man, there's a transgender six-year-old little girl, and he's dressed in an outfit. And look, I'm not knocking on people with mental health. The problem is that our, our culture embraces it like that stuff's okay. And we're navigating it. And listen, I love psychology. I love science, but my field is part of flushing our culture down the toilet. I want to redeem psychology, integrate soul care and spiritual formation, and these are the kind of conversations that do this. We don't want to throw psychology out, the baby with the bathwater, but sweet Jesus. Man, but as church leaders, you're engaging that, and then even crises of faith. I know a lot of pastors, I work with a lot of pastors and missionaries that are like, I'm talking about a Jesus that I'm not even sure I believe in anymore. And we're so afraid to admit it because our livelihood is connected to it. Listen, if you have not dealt with these things, at some point you probably will. Yay! <laughs> That's real encouraging. But listen, you're not alone. A lot of this is just a part of the journey. And the vital truth of all this is that if we're going to have the capacity to love, lead, and minister well from a healthy place, it starts with taking care of ourselves. And we all have a yearning to do that. 
to lead with intentionality and purpose and to lead from a place of health. And I really believe that the answer lies in embracing holistic self-care. Is everybody with me? Say holistic self-care. So let me start in a place that may not seem like we need to start, but I want to start with understanding what the self actually is, okay? Humanism has hijacked this term. Culture's hijacked it. But you and I have a core self. There is something in you and there's something in me that has been created by God to be filled by him, led by him, and to participate with him as he works in our lives and through our lives to engage the world around us to advance his kingdom. Can I get an amen? Amen. There is something in you and me created to engage God and the world around us. That is the self, and we see it all throughout the scriptures. So let's look at a few passages. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Jesus comes in later and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as as yourself. Who's doing the loving? You. We can't have a pseudo-spirituality that looks up and goes, God, just love people through me, but refuse to engage what that actually means. We have to engage it. And we see this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, I'm not going to read all that. You know it. Why do you think self-control is the last fruit of the Holy Spirit? Because if you don't do that and engage self-leadership, you're going to sabotage all the other fruits. I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons why Paul put it there, but that's just, that's just one that stood out to me. And, and by the way, to even get the fruits of the Holy Spirit, you have to line up with the Spirit. Right? You have to do something with your will, your core self that lines up with the spirit. Then the spirit can come in and do the work and we get to eat the fruit. There's still a work that we do, but it's not to earn anything. It's just to position ourselves to receive what Jesus has already earned. Wow. It's this, but there's something uh, in, in 2 Corinthians. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Who's examining who? There's something in you and me. I'm not going to belabor this. You get the idea. There's even all these implied yous. So then each of us will give an account of himself. Who? You. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God doesn't just do that. He equips us and he empowers us, but there's something you and I have to do to engage. Guys, that is the core self. Something in us that lives for eternity has to engage what God is doing in us. That is the self. And there's several characteristics of the self. These are just from psychology and observation, but when we are spirit-filled and spirit-led, this core self has the capacity. Now, don't raise your hand, but think through these. To be calm. Yes, please. Good to see you. Yes, please. Curious. By the way, curiosity is one of the most important tools to cultivate emotional health and well-being. We don't want to pay attention to what's going on in our emotions and our souls, but we can, if we can learn to get curious about it, it sets us up to invite God into what he's doing. Because, listen, it's not spiritual to deny struggles. If you deny a struggle, you're denying the Holy Spirit an opportunity to get in there and do something with it. If you're denying a struggle, you're not confessing that struggle. Right? Just say it. The curiosity, Lord, what's going on here? That's called soul health, to be able to lean in. 
compassion, confidence, courage, clarity, connection, creativity, presence. Let me say this about presence. We often underestimate the power of the ministry of presence because we're too busy trying to practice the ministry of productivity. There's a power when I, I am a crier. Ugh, I may tear up on it. There is a power when you just show up. When we don't know what to do. Listen, education doesn't fix that. There's times I don't know what to do, but I can show up and be present. And that's what Jesus did for us. Emptied himself, made himself nothing. When we understand that the ministry of presence is as powerful, if not more powerful than the ministry of productivity, then our presence is the incarnational ministry of the presence of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit stepping in. We literally take him into situations. Our core self chooses to engage that. Perspective, playfulness, like all of these things are aspects of the core self. Now, I know this can be a little confusing. I just want to show you a visual of what this looks like. So we have this core self, right? And this core self is filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. And ideally what happens is the core self leads all of the identity parts of who you and I are. Because we all have different parts. Have any of you ever wondered, man, there's a part of me that wants to do this and a part of me that doesn't like that part that wants to go do that? And you felt the tension internally? A part of me wants to wake up and go work out. A part of me wants to stay here in the bed. A part of me wants to pray and read scripture and lean into what the Lord's doing. And a part of me just wants to rest. So all of this, all of this, we good? No, nope, there it goes. All of this is the spirit filling us up, the self leading who we are as different parts. Listen, this is why some people can be amazing parents, terrible spouses. This is why some people can be amazing pastors, terrible parents. Is because there are parts of us that aren't healthy and they're out of balance. And the role of the core self is the spirit filling us up. Thank you, brother. The spirit filling us up and that core self doing the work to lead the different parts of who we are into health. So if my spouse offends me, the core self that's filled with the spirit says, I'm going to choose to engage the forgiveness that God has provided for me. I'm going to forgive that person. I'm going to set the boundaries that need to be set, and we're going to keep going. If someone leaves my church because they're mad at me, I'm going to lead that part of me well, forgive that person, set boundaries, and I'm going to keep moving. You guys with me? If my parent hurt me or abandoned me, I'm going to choose to forgive my parents, set healthy boundaries, and keep moving. Wow. You, you with me? That's the way we were designed to operate. These other parts we don't have time to get into, but oftentimes that's not what happens. If I get hurt as a child, I don't know how to do that. That child part of me fractures. And I start living out of protector parts, a perfectionistic part that thinks if I have to be perfect so I don't be rejected. Maybe I'm a caretaker, not from my core self because I love people and it's what God's called me to do, but if I care for you, you won't reject me and leave me. I think a lot of times we as pastors may hide behind the ministry as a way to not be rejected. But listen, you're still called. Let's just get that part healthy. Let's just work to sanctify. This is what I'm talking about. I wish we had more time to dive into that, but 
I just want to plant and water seeds. You can go back and do some homework here. But listen, here's the deal. The spirit fills us up, the self is leading, and we're able to walk through those things. So when I say self-care, what do I mean? I love a good bubble bath and a book. Somebody out there, I ain't ashamed to admit it. Some of you guys are like, he's crazy. But inwardly, you're just dreaming about that bubble bath. Uh, Maybe that is a part of holistic self-care. But what self-care actually is, it's the core self leading who you are into health. That's what self-care actually is. It's about self-leadership. Self-leadership. We're equipped. We're empowered. But we got to engage it. And that's the self-leadership part. So when I use the term holistic, I'm, I'm meaning that we are whole people. We are spiritual people, psychological people, physical people, relational people. We don't know who we are apart from the relationships we're in. Relationships are mirrors for us. And as we lean in and look in the mirrors of our lives, if a mirror that I've looked at myself in has been broken and I've got two heads and I walk away, that's the only mirror I see. I think I've got two heads. That's how relationships work. It, it may not be objectively true, but it's, it's true to me if that's what I've seen, if that's what I've known. And Jesus is the clearest mirror. The church needs to be healthy mirrors. Guys, this is why it's so important we're taking care of ourselves so that we have healthy, sustainable ministry, but we're reflecting back who people are based on who God says they are, not based on our pain and our wounds. This is so important. And, and as we move out from there, you get... Let me say this about the physical. When the prophet was in the cave and the spirit came to him and he wasn't in the wind or the, all the different natural elements and he came, he says, hey, listen, what did he tell him to do? Pray? He told him to eat and rest. I think sometimes we try to spiritualize physical issues. I do think that God will empower us for an act but that's not the rhythm he wants you in. He doesn't want you trying to leverage spirituality to manage physical exhaustion. He wants you to sleep. He wants you to eat. He wants you to engage and and worship with your whole body. And this is gonna be important in just a minute, but it branches out from there. Our environmental self-care is important. How we steward our environments, how we steward our homes, how we steward what we have financial into educational, vocational, and leadership, but where do we tend to start here? When you start trying to take care of yourself, where do you tend to start? A lot of people tend to start in that education, vocation, leadership, financial. They try to change the environment or things around them instead of starting at the core and moving out from there. If we want this to be sustainable, we've got to start at the spiritual level move into the soul, and, 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 and build out from there. So let me connect this. Now, uh, I have people, Bethany will pick on me, but we are bio-psycho-socio-spiritual beings. A body, a soul, relationships, and a spirit. And how we connect out is an extension of who we are as people. So let me connect this to something that is important to all of us. Salvation. All right, 
Theologically, the term, when we say, are you saved, right? I realize I'm preaching to the choir here, but just hang with me. When we say, are you saved, the theological term for that is justification, right? And that has to do with your past being saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, and spiritually we are made right in relationship with God. And the scriptures say, for those who've been justified, they've also been glorified. What does that mean? That's our future salvation. That's when we see him face to face. That's when we get new bodies. And I love what John Piper says about this, that these bodies, we have to get new bodies because, well, apart from the fact that we would probably be obliterated, we have to get new bodies because these bodies can't handle the glories that are prepared for us when we see Jesus face to face. Also about the body, have you ever really considered that God sent Jesus in a body to handle a spiritual issue? Just, I can't explain that fully theologically, but I think it's important. God cares about the body. You and I are not meant to live unembodied. We're going to get a new one when we see him face to face. So we have our past salvation, our future salvation, and then we've got this salvation in the middle that we want to skip over all the time. But it's called sanctification. And it's this process where our minds, our souls are being not just conformed, but transformed from the inside out. By the way, this visual, I really believe that that is the psychological correlate to sanctification. The self leading the parts of who I am into health, into Jesus Christ, and all of me becomes more and more and more like Jesus. Does that make sense? So, so I've got this part of, that, that's leaning in from the point that I'm justified to the point that I see him face to face. I am being sanctified. That is my soul and by, and by implication, my relationships. So salvation is a holistic process. Think about that. Jesus didn't just come to save us spiritually. He came to do everything for us. Praise Jesus. So if salvation is holistic, then holistic self-care is actually an act of stewardship. And it is an act of worship. And I believe that holistic self-care is what it means to work out. Not for, but work out your salvation. And I think part of the reason so many of us are struggling in the ministry is we're trying to work out our salvation spiritually, but we're neglecting or underemphasizing the rest of what God wants to do in us so he can do things through us. How are we doing? I don't know what I just said. Uh, what did I say? Um, I think... I, I really believe that part of the, the reason so many pastors are exhausted is that you're leaning into an amazing, amazing work of the ministry. I'm not saying we're over-spiritualizing. I was listening to More Than Able on the way here because there's some things we're believing for that I've had anxiety about. And I was like, Lord, I've been leaning into my anxiety more. I teach this stuff for a living, and I have to put my hands in the soil of my soul and practice it. 
It's one thing, listen, as a church, part of the reason I'm so grateful I have the opportunity to talk about this is there's a cultural movement to make this a value in our Christian life, but more often than not, it's aspirational. Patrick Lynchoni says, and if a value is aspirational, you won't be willing to sacrifice for it. But if it's a core value, you will be willing to suffer and sacrifice for it because it's worth it and you know the fruit that's coming on the other side. So I think we have just underemphasized the stewardship of our salvation in these other areas. I think if we can lean into these things, we'll start to see and make it a rhythm of life like Milk and Old Bessie. Hi, Hoofner. Good to see you again. Every day, every week, we're just practicing. <laughs> That's a terrible illustration. I just have all these mental images. Real quick, I, I, so my, I tell my kids all the time about milking cows. So we were at this, uh, we've got some, some mutual friends who have a farm out in Mississippi. And so there's this dairy barn where they go buy these hand, hand like homemade like cheesecakes and all sorts of stuff. And so we went the last time and they were actually milking the cows. So I walked in there and I was like, I was like, kids, come here, come here, come here, come here. So I had all, all my kids walk in. I was like, take a deep breath in. They looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, smells like roses. That's what my, my buddy used to tell us. Anyway, I, I just used way too much time for that. But the, uh, the point that I'm trying to make with that is so much of this is gardening. It's farming. And we've got to put our hands in, in the soil of what this stuff looks like. So um, in every one of these areas, every one of these areas, we've got to be able to lean in and think, what is my next step? We're all familiar with sort of a next step mentality. This isn't all or nothing. What is the next step spiritually for me to just steward my own salvation, my own connection with the Lord? What does that look like? In my, in my own soul, what does that look like? What is a next step? That's it. Physically, what is a next step for me? Going through each of these, what is a next step? Your consistency in the area of self-care is more important than the outcome. So let me say that again. Your consistency in the area of self-care is more important than the outcome. The fruit is not the goal. What you do to see that fruit needs to be the goal because it's specific, it's measurable, it's accomplishable, it's relevant, and it's timely. You tracking with me? We could talk about fruit all day long, but if I'm not engaged in the small steps, the day-to-day -day consistency of fostering that fruit in my life, I'm not going to see that fruit. I will inadvertently do things that sabotage it. How we doing? We okay? It's like cheeks flapping in the wind, I know. But I, you guys are... Or with me. So one thing, one, one area of self-care I want to talk to you about, and we're not going to get through all of this, but I want to plant and water some seeds here, is the area of psychological self-care and well-being. Now, I love science. I am a psychologist. And positive psychology has given an acronym for what well-being looks like, and it's PERMA. 
And every time I say that word, I think about my grandmother because she used to rock a mean perm. <laughs> Mama. I, she was a, my grandma was amazing. Prayer warrior. It's our, part of how I remember it. But it's perma. P-E-R-M-A, and I often add H for health. And if we can foster these things in our lives, we're fostering psychological well-being and self-care. Positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishment, and health. And I want to say the scriptures point to all of it. It's just science supporting the reality of what the scriptures say. That's it. But I love science because oftentimes it helps give us practical tools, ways to put our hands in the soil. So I want to spend most of the time talking to you about positive emotion. So there's a guy named Martin Seligman who did some research, um, kind of considered the father of modern positive psychology. And uh, he says that, that we have to be able to foster positive emotions for well-being. So when you look at positive emotions, psychology looks at a lot of different emotions. Joy, you can just go through that list for just a minute. Joy, gratitude, we just finished singing about gratitude. Serenity, interest, hope, pride, amusement, awe. Awe is such an underrated emotion, by the way. My God, let me say this. If you're living from a place of trauma, you will not be able to awe because you're stuck in survival mode. What God wants to do is heal the trauma in your life, but you have to participate. You have to face it. And as you heal, he will wake up your capacity to wonder again. My God. Mm. Love. Listen, love is defined by three ways. You ever noticed how the Greek words for love don't necessarily define love? It just contextualizes it. I'm still kind of left wondering sometimes, like, what is really love? Like, how do I actually foster love? Because I know the Greek talk about it relationally and, and erotically or this love thing and, and, you know, this friendship kind of love. They just contextualize it. One of the best definitions of love I've ever heard is it's three components. It's fostering small moments of connection that foster shared positive emotion. Fostering small moments of connection that foster shared positive emotion. That means on a daily basis, we just work to connect with the people we care about. And as we foster any of these positive emotions, you're taking the first step towards fostering love. What do the scriptures say? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Why? To connect us back to him. And as you foster these small moments of connection you end up having a synchrony of biochemistry and behavior. Literally, your bodies align and your behavior aligns. You ever seen spouses start to look like each other? Act like each other, smell like each other? There's a synchrony there. Your body's serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, vasopressin, all these amazing things that are going on in the body, they're syncing us up and we're doing things together. And as that happens, we foster a belief of mutual care. Not a head belief, but a heart belief. I am really for you and you are for me. And as we foster that heart belief, what we end up seeing is it 
motivates us to want to connect again. And you're right back in that cycle. That's how you actually foster love in every one of the Greek contexts. You with me? And I don't know if you've ever done marriage counseling with people and you teach them all the skills and everything and it's like they ju- it just doesn't seem to work. Often it's because they have heart beliefs that my spouse is not for me. It sabotages everything else. So you got you to lean into those things. But connection in ways that foster shared positive emotion, a synchrony of biochemistry and behavior, and a belief of mutual care. It helps us foster love. Anyway, that was do what you want to with that. By the way, the thing about love, this is a quick detour. We need commitment and connection for relationships to thrive. Um, you ever seen the people, been married 40 years, the wife leaves and said he never loved me? And the husband's like, I've been committed to you for 40 years. Yes, commitment, but there was no connection. If you aren't intentionally fostering connection, you're unintentionally driving disconnection. So what happens is previous generations value commitment but struggle to connect, right? Our current generation wants to connect, but they don't care about commitment. And what happens is if we're, if we're not fostering connection, we're not actually thriving. But if we're not fostering commitment, we're sabotaging stability and security. So I'm connected to you, but I'm insecure in the relationship. And so I just live in this place of anxiety all the time. We've got to have both. So these positive emotions, they're all connected. They all trigger each other, and they are intimately connected to the scriptures. Just take a minute and look at that list. Joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Who's rejoicing, by the way? You. That's that core self. You don't have to feel it to foster it. We'll talk about that in a minute. Gratitude, love, hope, they are all connected. And so um, positive emotions operate on this thing called the broaden and build hypothesis. So negative emotions or unwanted emotions, not only negative, but unwanted like fear or anxiety, they just narrow our perspective. So we only see through the lens of the fear and it narrows our view. It's all about survival. I gotta survive, I gotta survive. We don't see everything else going on. It sabotages our faith. But if we can take a step back and foster positive emotions like gratitude, for example, then it starts to blow up the tunnel of fear. It broadens our perspective, and we're like, oh, I've got that resource, this resource, this resource, this resource. Look what the Lord has provided, and now I can actually build on the thing that he's provided because I'm fostering gratitude to see it. This is amazing. Look at the widow. It was Elisha, I think. The widow goes to Elisha. She's panicking. Goes to Elisha, and she says, help. I, all of these people are coming to get my kids because of debt. They were going to take her kids. I got three kids. You take my kids, it's on. But she didn't know how to do, how to handle it, so she goes to the prophet. And Elisha's like, well, what am I going to do? He's like, I'm not your source. She was so freaked out that she was seeing through the tunnel of survival and fear, she could not identify her available resources, and she discounted what she had. She was in all-or-nothing thinking, deficits mindset. And Elisha finally says, what do you have? And what is her response? Nothing. He's like, I, I don't know. She's missed it. And she goes, well, I've got some, like, oil or whatever she says. I forget exactly what she says. And he goes, okay, let me help you out here. Now that you have identified the resource you have, you may not think it is enough for your need, but if you steward what you have, the stewardship of that resource will be the source for your miracle. 
So she goes down and goes, all right, now, thank you. So Elisha, listen to this. Elisha helps her out. He goes, hey, by the way, you don't just have a physical resource. You've got relational equity. Go borrow all the jars that you can. And as soon as she stewarded what she had, she moved from this in a negative emotion to stepping back and fostering gratitude to see the resources she had. And while it wasn't enough for what she needed, she could steward it in faith. And God did a miracle and she had more than enough. That's what positive emotions do when we allow our core selves to lead and engage what God has equipped us with and empowered us with. Game changer. Game changer. And let me say this too. Attitudes, I believe that every emotion in the scriptures aren't just emotions, they're attitudes. This is very important. They're attitudes. This is the anatomy of every experience we have. Every experience you and I have looks just like this. But let me say this real quick. This in the middle, your thoughts, your behaviors, your emotions, and your body are the anatomy of every attitude that we have. If you've had a teenager and your teen's ever looked at you and done this, what? I'm from Mississippi, guys. That don't go over too well, right? I, like things are like, I brought you into this world. I will take you out. Don't take that attitude with me. How do you know they had attitude? Their body. That's why worship is so important. Embodying worship. I may be depressed, but if I choose to engage my attitude and my body, I lift up, I lift up. My body says something to my brain. My brain says something to my soul and my core self is leading who I am into a state of worship that fosters a state of gratitude that moves me out of the chaos of fear and helps me see the resources I have to steward those things in my growing faith. Game changer. It's a game changer. So attitudes don't have to be felt to be fostered. Attitudes do not have to be felt to be fostered. I've got two minutes. Let me say this last thing and connect this. Attitudes do not have to be felt to be fostered. You can identify the attitude that you want and pursue it based on this diagram. By the way, this actually connects to holistic discipleship. Theologically, you've got orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. Go look all those up. I realize I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Does that look familiar? Thoughts, right doctrine, right thought life, behavior, right actions, right ministry, uh, orthopathy is right suffering or right emotion. If we foster health in these areas and we do it in the lives of the people we minister to and shepherd, it's holistic discipleship. It's all connected. God is doing a work in us and he's doing a work through us. And guys, this is connected to cardiovascular health. When you foster things like gratitude, you're actually fostering. There's, there's research that shows that heart patients actually recover more quickly when they foster gratitude. It impacts your immune system. I, there's all sorts of things going on here that are absolutely amazing. Listen, thank you for your time. A few things. If you want the notes, um, email me. I created a 22-page resource for you that I'll give to you. So just email community at mywellco.life all access notes in the subject, first and last name in the box. Obviously, you're sharing your email with me. 
so it does cost you something. Um, but I want to give you your notes. Um, we have created resources. If, if you're interested in this, I really believe that we want to help people lay a foundation of holistic self-care that helps us steward our lives and our ministries. So rhythms is that thing. If you want to check that out, if you want to follow us and stay connected, guys, this is, it's right here. God's equipped us and he's empowered us to do it. We can do it together, fostering holistic self-care. So our lives, our marriages, and our ministry is sustainable. I love you. Thank you for this space. Hey, keep your mic on just for a second. Um, I love hearing Andy talk. It's like, you know, putting your face up next to a fire hydrant and opening it and trying to drink something. It's like, ah! You got a good sip of water, but there was so much left behind. So uh, actionable step number one. You know, if, if, if somebody's here and I'm, you know, the whole theme of this uh, gathering was to talk about missions and prayer. But uh, last night, God gave me a word that was, that was unique and it was about dealing with toxic thought patterns. And then today, you're sharing this and I, I feel like the Holy Spirit speaking something to, to, uh, to us as a gathering. And for somebody sitting there that has felt like uh, they came here expecting one thing and they got something totally different uh, like God speaking to them about their own care. What's step number one? Like when they when they leave this place, what's actionable that they can that they can begin to do? I, I would say it, it's as simple as curiosity. Go go back to this list. Just get curious. How am I doing spiritually? Because if you don't assess yourself you will misappropriate an intervention because you don't have the right diagnosis. You don't have the right understanding. So I say the first step isn't to go start doing something. It's just to sit in quiet with the Lord and go, Father, how am I doing spiritually, existentially? Like, do I feel like I'm losing a sense of purpose and meaning? Walk through each one of these. How is my mind? How is my will? Assess yourself these areas. And I think that'll give you clarity to ask the right questions for those next steps on how to engage those areas. That's good. I want you to pray for us. Just yeah. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for this time. But I know missions and prayer are crucial. They're absolutely crucial. But if we're not careful, we won't do the things that support the efficacy and sustainability of our connection with you and our connection with others and how we reach out to them. And so I pray that um, what you're doing in us and through us is the work of holistic health, where our spirits are healthy, our souls are healthy, our bodies are healthy, our relationships are healthy, and then our ministries are healthy. I bless this group of people in Jesus' name with health. Lord, you speak it over yes. them. You have equipped them. I pray for hope for them in Jesus' name. Any one of them that thinks I can't do that, I've tried and I, I fail. I pray that you help them see that's just a toxic thought. It's just a thought. It doesn't mean anything. And that hope is rising in them, the sense that they can engage this. And I, Lord, I thank you for the filling of the Holy Spirit and that that's happening as we're moving forward in health and in ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
What an amazing word. This message was from our Empower 2023 this year, and I'm excited about Empower 2024 next year. What we're actually doing is we're merging our youth conference and our leadership conference in power, and they're coming together. And so you can sign up for that right now. Go to BethanyAllAccess.com and sign up. Bring your students, bring your church leaders. It's going to be a party here in Baton Rouge. It's going to be so amazing. I encourage you, like, subscribe, share this with as many people as you know. And I'm telling you, next week, it's going to be amazing. So we look forward to seeing you next time.